He's Hacker. So much so that I had to ask around. I'm like, hey, I'm kind of a nice guy, right? Hacker is an ass. I try as I'm getting into my old age at 39 years old. Try not to let things bother me. Just know that I'm ultra soft. And he doesn't shy away from opinion. See Baker Mayfield throw four passes. But, uh, but I get to see this homeless guy return a ball for oh, a touchdown. It's Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Monday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you for the second time today. I imagine most of you listening were definitely with us from 1.30 to 3 a.m. earlier this morning when we had the fifth quarter here with Dave Campo and Leon Searcy. But glad to be back with you to react once again to the Jaguars' third consecutive loss, this time a 23-7 shellacking that they suffered at the hands of the best team in the AFC, that is the Baltimore Ravens. We got a lot to do. Guest lineup looks like this. Coming up in about eh, 20 minutes, a little under, Dave Campo. It's always Monday night coaching with Campo here on Hacker After Dark. We'll try to make sense of where exactly the Jaguars are moving forward, now losers of three in a row, and hanging on by a thread not only to the division but to a playoff spot. The Jaguars are in the middle of what could be arguably the biggest collapse they've had in franchise history late in the year. We'll certainly spend some time on that. We'll also get my buddy John Shipley of Jaguar Report. He comes up at the top of the nine o'clock hour. But as you can imagine, it's going to be a lot of Jaguars here in hour number one. And every night here on Hacker After Dark, we do kick it off with a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. Oh, what a difference three weeks makes. 21 little days. Three weeks ago, the Jacksonville Jaguars were in Houston where a 57-yard kick came up just short, hitting the crossbar. Jaguars beat the Texans at that point, putting major separation between them and Houston. They were 8-3. and three. And if you'll remember, for about three and a half hours, we're actually the number one seed in the AFC playoffs. And now here we are, 21, now 22 days later, and the Jacksonville Jaguars are hanging on to their postseason lives by a thread. If they don't win the division, they're probably not going to the playoffs. Cleveland has a tiebreaker over them. Cincinnati has a tiebreaker over them. And who really thinks they're going to be better than Buffalo in three weeks? So the Jaguars better win the division or they're not going to the playoffs. It could be the biggest collapse in the history of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Dare I say, very Tennessee Titan-esque of last year. Now, we're not there yet. But if you'll remember, the Titans were 7-3 and three last year before losing six games in a row to ultimately fall out of the playoffs. The Jaguars could be doing something very similar 
if they're not careful. Uh, Last night was awful. And I know, I'll go ahead and tell you, yeah, they shot themselves in the foot and it's self-inflicted wounds and, you know, they beat themselves and yada, 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 right? That, that's the talking points. That's the talking points we have to get out there. Every Monday, it's the same thing. Ah, the Jaguars don't actually lose. They beat themselves. Cincinnati didn't come in here and throw for 350 yards with a backup quarterback. Jacksonville just simply beat themselves. Cleveland didn't have Joe Flacco come in off the couch and go for 300 yards and three touchdowns and turn the Jaguars over four times. No, 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 no. The Jaguars did that to themselves. And last night, Baltimore didn't beat them 23-7 and didn't have 251, you know, rushing yards. That really wasn't Baltimore. That was just Jacksonville beating themselves. Well, Jacksonville might want to stop beating themselves, ladies and gentlemen, because right now at 8-6, and six, it doesn't even feel like they're in first place in the division. If I'm in the AFC playoffs, I'd much rather play Jacksonville right now than Houston. And truthfully, I'd much rather play Jacksonville right now than Indianapolis. If Jacksonville wins out, they will get in, and that's all that matters. I agree with that, just getting in, and then anything can happen. But good heavens, if C.J. Beathard has to go because Trevor Lawrence is in concussion protocol right now, you have a huge game against Tampa, a game Tampa desperately needs as well. I do not like the Jaguar chances. That does get me to Trevor Lawrence. Now, I understand, and I've grown to understand this. I've matured to understand this over the last few years that social media, Twitter or X, as it's called now, is not real life. It's not reality. I imagine for every hundred of you listening right now, 80 of you probably aren't even on Twitter. It is the vocal minority of fans that are on Twitter, but it was very active last night in regards to the Jaguars, as you can imagine. Very active. And a a public service announcement, and I hate doing this, I very rarely have blocked people on social media. But man, the Jaguars losing just brings out the absolute worst in humanity for some people here in Jacksonville. You get so personal. Look, I don't care if we're having a conversation about the Jaguars, if you disagree with something that I say, That's what makes the world go round, man. That's sports radio in its finest. That's what we do. Conversations, dare I say, even arguments at times. But good grief, when it gets personal, there's no need for that. There's no room for that, particularly during the holidays. I have gotten to the point where I'm just not going to put up with that. So I, I had to block actually quite a few people last night, which is a shame. Because I enjoy the dialogue. I enjoy the conversation. But when you cross a line... And I've often wondered, right? Like, I'm a 40-year-old man now, and I don't have a perspective of being mad at a sports radio host because I've done this for going on 22 years. So I have never sat at my computer in my house or been on my cell phone and taken personal shots at a sports radio personality. I would think that would be something for, like, 
high school kids or college kids to do, maybe, although I don't even think I would do it then. For grown men to do that, I think you need to take a good, hard look in the mirror and maybe evaluate yourself and where you're going in life. There are some politicians I don't agree with. There are some things that I don't agree with. There are some people that I don't like, but I don't go on my cell phone and go to a message board or a social media channel and rip them personally. I, I, I don't live in that world. I don't understand that. Nevertheless, last night, I was throwing a lot of stuff out there. I was unhappy, as most of you were. But I found out, and I guess I knew this, that in this city, in regards to Trevor Lawrence, boy, you can't speak anything bad about Trevor. You can't be negative about Trevor. Because the first bit of negativity, the first bit of criticism you throw at Trevor Lawrence, oh, man, you are the devil incarnate, brother. And the sensitivity and the sensitive side of Jaguar Twitter will come after you with venom. Unfortunately, I was backing up most of what I was saying with facts, which leads me to my guy, Tony Baselli. Now, a little backstory here. Last night, I'm coming in to do the fifth quarter, and I wouldn't even say I was doing this to poke the bear. I was being serious. In no way, shape, or form would I take Gardner Minshew over Trevor Lawrence. I would not. I'm happy with Trevor. If I had the option to trade Gardner for Trevor, I would not do it. I want Trevor Lawrence to be the quarterback. I'm happy for Gardner. I'm a Gardner fan, but I do not want Gardner Minshew over Trevor Lawrence. All I put on social media last night was the fact that Gardner Minshew went into Baltimore, went into Lamar Jackson's house as the starting quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts and won a game at Baltimore earlier this year, and he looked pretty good in doing it. That's all I said. So I get home this morning from the fifth quarter about 3.30 or 4 a.m. Of course, I'm pretty, you know, you can't just go to bed after a two-hour radio show. Your sleep schedule's all messed up. I probably got into bed about 4.30 thinking I was going to sleep till noon. Nope, cell phones started going off around 8 a.m. Because my guy Big Bo, Tony Baselli, was on the drill this morning with Dan Hicken and Jeff Broster, the best morning sports talk show in Jacksonville alluding to the post that I made, not saying my name, but he was obviously talking about what I said in regards to Gardner beating Baltimore. And then Big Bo on the award-winning Jaguars happy hour said the same thing this afternoon in Denmark. Play the conversation, and again, this is not anything negative. I love Baselli. Are you kidding me? I'm flattered that he thought of me to say this. But this was Tony Baselli, Pete Prisco, and J.P. Shatterick earlier this afternoon on Jaguar happy hour. I'm not. No, I, I brought. I brought it up, saying I'm not going to say the guy's name. Why not? Because I don't want to. Didn't you if, bring up Hayes I'll last time? I'll say his time? name. I'll say his name. I know who it is. Go ahead, say it then. It was Hacker. <laughs> <laughs> Do you confirm or deny this, uh, Tony? I'm just confirming this that I think it's a. Pers- I think it's a ridiculous comment. I think I think it's a ridiculous comment to make. And I don't think he was making the comment, if I read it right, he wasn't making the comment to say he would take Gardner Minshew over Trevor Lawrence because I think he actually said he wouldn't. That's right. 
Pete, you're the man. Absolutely. I would not take Gardner Minshew over Trevor Lawrence. I'm just simply pointing out that this generational quarterback that we have here in Jacksonville, that apparently you cannot say a negative thing about, you cannot criticize without just venom spewing from Jaguar fans. If you compare the numbers, they're not that dissimilar. Gardner Minshew has started 10 games this year for an injured Anthony Richardson, completing 63% of his passes for 2,739 yards, 14 touchdowns, 8 interceptions, and has led the Colts all the way back from the doldrums of the league to now being 8-6 and six and in a tie with Jacksonville. Jacksonville has the tiebreaker, thank goodness. Trevor Lawrence, you compare his numbers. He started four more games, right? Gardner started 10 games. Trevor started 14. Trevor has four more touchdown passes, has two more interceptions, has about 700 more yards, and is completing 66% compared to Gardner's 63%. I would also point out that Gardner Minshew does not have over $100 million in wide receivers and tight ends that were brought in for him to use in his offense, like Christian Kirk and Zay Jones and Evan Ingram. Gardner Minshew, many games this year, has not had the benefit of Jonathan Taylor, like Trevor Lawrence has had the benefit of Travis Etienne. Now, Trevor Lawrence, better quarterback. I'm not saying Gardner's better. What I'm saying is Trevor is not beyond criticism. And I understand it. At least I think I understand it. Jacksonville, you have seen for 25 years Peyton Manning in Indianapolis, Tom Brady in New England, Ben Roethlisberger with the Steelers, Mahomes in Kansas City, Andrew Luck in Indianapolis. You've seen them all, right? Phillip Rivers with the Chargers. You go on down the line, not as long, but Burrow in Cincinnati. What Jalen Hurts is doing in Philadelphia right now. I get it, man. And you so desperately want Trevor Lawrence to be that guy. And maybe he will be one day. He isn't right now. He's just not. He was bad last night. Now, I know he got the concussion at the end, which was awful. And I'm certainly rooting for him because we need him back. We need him back, and I hope he plays against Tampa. I don't expect him to, based on what I know about concussion protocol. But Trevor has not been good. You think about the three biggest home games this year. Kansas City, San Francisco, Baltimore. They have one touchdown in those 12 quarters. One. They scored nine points on three field goals against Kansas City. They scored one field goal against San Francisco. And the one touchdown came last night, Lawrence to Agnew. In 12 quarters, three games, Kansas City, San Francisco, Baltimore, this Jacksonville Jaguar offense has scored 19 points. They are averaging just over six points a game in the three biggest home games of the year. That's uh, concerning, right? 
And let me also say this. Criticizing Trevor Lawrence does not mean you want Trevor Lawrence gone. For the life of me, I don't understand why anybody believes a critique or a criticism of Trevor Lawrence means that you're done with him. That is ridiculous. That is you being sensitive about your franchise quarterback. That's what that is. And there's no need to be sensitive. I'm sure if you ask Trevor Lawrence, he'll tell you he's not playing up to his standard. He'll tell you he's not among the best in the league right now because he's not. He's not. And I'm not talking about the big boy quarterbacks either. Look at Brock Purdy in San Francisco and how he's playing right now. Look at Jake Browning in Cincinnati and how he's playing right now. Now, of course, I would take Trevor over both of them. But the last three weeks, who's been the better quarterback? I would argue Brock Purdy and Browning have been as good, if not better, than Trevor. Statistically, they've been way better. People are mad. People are heated because you see the season slipping through your fingers. And now Trevor's in concussion protocol. And I get it. And there's a lot of angry people in this city. But Trevor Lawrence, I'm happy he's here. I believe he's a franchise quarterback, but he is not beyond criticism. He's not above criticism. And just because you criticize the guy doesn't mean you want him gone. Just because you make a joke on social media how Gardner Minshew went into Baltimore and won and Trevor could not be Baltimore at home doesn't mean you want Gardner Minshew over Trevor Lawrence. It's a joke. In the words of Aaron Rodgers, relax. But maybe it's because people in this city are too sensitive when it comes to Trevor Lawrence. And why is that? Why is there so much sensitivity about Trevor Lawrence? Because he might not be the generational guy we thought he was. Which is fine, as long as he's above average to good, I'm fine with that. But there is no doubt that the way he's playing right now, he's anything but generational. Like I said, we need him back. We need him back in a big way. We're not going to do anything in the postseason without him. You know what else? We need him to play better. Because if he gets back and he's playing the way he's been playing the last month or two, Jaguars aren't going to do anything anyway. Again, if there is the most indicting thing of this season to this point, and this is the entire offense, by the way. This is not just Trevor. This is offensive line. This is lack of running game. This is wide receivers. This is play calling. This is the whole kit and caboodle. Again, San Francisco, Kansas City, Baltimore. Your three biggest home games of the year in front of your crowd to make statements to the National Football League and you score one touchdown in those 12 quarters? You score a combined 19 points in those three games? Ridiculous. Ridiculous. There's a lot of problems on this offense. It's not just Trevor. But he's part of the problem, at least as of late. 641-1010 is the phone number on the phone line and on the text line design. 
by Lifetime Enclosures with Dylan Denmark, the Hacker Ryan Green with you. Monday night edition, Hacker After Dark. It's always Monday night coaching with Campo. My friend Dave Campo, former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, he joins me next as we roll on on a Monday here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. It is a Monday evening, and we are glad you are with us. Well, the Jaguars are now 8-6. and six. They've lost three games in a row, and they looked bad last night in a 23-7 loss to the Baltimore Ravens. Let's try to make sense of what's going on and where we go from here. And on Monday evenings, that means Monday night coaching with Campo. My friend Dave Campo, former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, is with us every Monday here on Hacker After Dark. Coach, the second time I've talked to you, we did the fifth quarter, oh, about 20 hours ago. And now here we are on Hacker After Dark, my friend. How are you? I'm doing okay. You know, uh, I, I'm a little uh, obviously frustrated with uh, three losses with our, our Jaguars, but the sun's shining out there, and I got to throw a bunch of mulch down before I get a fine in the neighborhood. So <laughs> I got things to do here, and, uh, you know, then, then you just – it's 24-hour rule, and then you move on. Coach, last night was not good. The end of the first half was a complete cluster. Uh, for people that did not listen to the fifth quarter earlier this morning, uh, just your overall takeaway on a 23-7 loss. Well, obviously, you know, uh, we're we're doing a lot of the things right now that we've been basically doing the whole, the whole year, you know, especially offensively. You know, we're, you know, penalties, uh, fumbles, uh, you know, just – just shooting yourself in the foot after after pretty decent drives, and that's really kind of killing us. Uh, Trevor, yesterday I thought was a little inaccurate. Uh, whether or not that's pressure, or you know that 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 I can't answer. But uh, it was just one of those things in the first half. To be honest with you, we were in the ball game right up until the last drive and a half. You know, we missed the two field goals. And then the fumble is really what got us because they had a field goal. And then when we fumbled that ball, when Trevor dropped it in the red zone, that was another score, basically a field goal at, at worst. And then they took a, put a drive together. And, you know, it, it, once they went up 10 to seven, uh, they, they got that right before the half. So, you know, it, it was, and then from the second half, it was just kind of an a ugly second half. Coach, the fumble was bad enough. He was trying to switch arms. The ball fell. All right, it was bad, but whatever. To me, the inexcusable thing, the thing that absolutely cannot happen in professional football is clock management or the lack thereof at the end of the half. How does something like that happen? Well, again, that's one that I didn't even mention. You know, that one there uh, was the fourth thing that happened in the first half. And I can't answer that question because uh, really, in all honesty, that's common sense. Uh, you know, when you've got that situation, you clock the ball. Uh, I, you know, what Doug Peterson said is we've scored in some situations like that by the offense not getting, uh, excuse me, the defense not being ready when you get down there 
assuming that you're going to clock it. The problem is you can't throw the ball in in the field of play. You know, it has to be one that you're either throwing it out of bounds or you're throwing it out of the end zone. And you try to get an extra play. But to be honest with you, if he had clocked it, they would have probably had – they would have definitely had one shot. They probably would have had two because you'd, have, you'd throw those into the end zone. It is Monday night coaching with Campo. My man Dave Campo with us every Monday here on Hacker After Dark. Um, Coach, I was critical of Trevor Lawrence last night on social media, again on the fifth quarter. A lot of people are, quite frankly. Is the criticism of Trevor Lawrence today in the city fair to you? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think, uh, you know, he's he's not playing at the level uh, of what the expectations are. You know, th- there are things that he's doing that, that are pretty darn good, but at the same time, it just seems like there's a few uh, errant throws. There's, uh, you know, he'll, he'll sail a ball here and there. It, it seems like we move the ball pretty good, and then all of a sudden something happens that, that – that uh you know derails it and he's part of that so uh, you know there's no question that there's some question as to number one is he's not right now he is not in the league with Mahomes and Burrow and and uh you know those kind of guys and to be honest with you this fan base and our media and our team expects him to be in that level and he's not at that level right now and he's also in concussion protocol, which we'll get into in a moment, how that complicates things. Uh, another thing last night, and this feels like deja vu, because I know I've asked you about this in the past. I remember asking you about this. The Jaguars had 60 offensive snaps last night. 47 of those 60 were called pass plays. Now, Trevor had to run the ball on four of them because the pocket broke down, uh, so he only threw the ball 43 times. But, Coach, how does something like that happen where you have 60 snaps on offense and you only call 13 running plays last night? Well, you're going to have to ask the coaching staff that because that's not the way you do it. Uh, You know, you've got to be balanced. I don't care uh, whether you're a pass-oriented football team or or a run-oriented football team. You've got to be balanced. You can't run the ball all the time, and you can't throw it. And usually when, you're, when you've got 50 passes in a game, and, and that give or take 47 or 50, there's a good chance you're going to lose the football game because there's only about 60, 65 snaps. And if you're only running the ball that amount of time, uh, it's, it's not going to work. And it looks like to me that we start out running the football and we did, and we ran the ball pretty effectively on those first couple drives, and then we get one bad run, and then all of a sudden you don't see the run very much from that point on. So, you know, that's something that they've got to rectify. If we think we're going to go into a ball game and throw it 50 times and win the football game, uh, there's smoking hubbly-bubbly. Monday Night Coaching with Campo, Dave Campo, former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys here with us on Hacker After Dark. It's never good to smoke the hubbly-bubbly, no question about that. Uh, coach, two and five at home, and quite frankly, they've been embarrassed in three of those five home games. I, I mean, two and five, Coach, at Everbank Stadium. How do you explain that? 
Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one because, you know, if you're going to be a, a, a really a, a chance to do something in the playoffs, you basically have to win at least six of your eight home games, uh, six or seven. And then when you go on the road, you split the games and you win the division games. And that's, that's the, the, the uh, blueprint. And when you're losing at home, that doesn't bode well for you. And, you know, that's kind of the, the, the mantra, the, the blueprint. And, and obviously we're not, we're not handling that very well. Now you have to remember three of those were really what you would consider quality opponents, Kansas city, uh, San Francisco and Baltimore. And so when you look at that scenario, you would be happy going into the season knowing that you're going to play the best guys at home. Well, we don't seem to to play in prime time uh, against the top teams, and that's why we're not there yet. You mentioned those three games, Coach. Kansas City, San Francisco, and Baltimore. That's 12 quarters. That's countless offensive possessions. And in those 12 quarters, those three games against three of the best in the NFL, the Jacksonville Jaguars have scored one touchdown. And that was well, last night with Jamal Agnew. That's unacceptable, correct? Yeah. Well, once you you know you look at our football team for the whole season, the offense. You know, I don't always want to say the offense has been bad, but what I will say is they're extremely inconsistent. Like I said earlier, they'll get a drive going. They're not pushing the ball down the field at all. And to be honest with you, when they've hit big plays, it's been in maximum protection. And that might be part of the reason they're not throwing the ball down the field, uh, you know, with the protection aspect. Uh, and when you do that, uh, it, there's going to be inconsistency because all of a sudden you're going to get an offside penalty, a, a false start. Uh, somebody's going to do something that, that hurts you, and then all of a sudden the drive stalls. When I look at our offense, that's the way it's been. And if you look at our defense over the year, they've had a couple of rough games but really, in this game right here, uh, the defense kept us in that football game until right after the half, when when uh, you know when they came out and and we uh, you know they scored right away coming out. We scored right away, and then we gave it right back. Yeah, the, the last night the final score wasn't as bad as San Francisco. But to me, there were similarities. The Jaguars were in the San Francisco game at halftime, too. But at a certain point, the defense can only keep you around so long before the gas runs out of the tank. And in the San Francisco game, the defense wore down because the offense was doing nothing. Last night, I think, was very similar. The Jaguar defense wore down because their offense only gave them one play the entire night. Well, and, and you know, I think it's two different – uh, scenarios, you know, San Francisco, they wore down because they were running at them. In this ball game, it was chasing that quarterback around. You know, the front seven uh, chased that guy around. Uh, he is unbelievable. I, you know, he won't be in the uh, final MVP because he statistically, especially in the passing game, he won't be with those other people that are involved. But I'm going to tell you right now, that guy, you can't get him on the ground. I mean, he's, he made four or five moves on one run. And when you run for 47 yards, everybody chased, I mean, excuse me, 97 yards. 
and everybody's chasing you around. Plus, he scrambles all around and makes throws down the field. Uh, you know, that's that wears the defense out. And that's really what happened yesterday. In the second half, he started scrambling more, and they started running the ball a little bit more, and, and we just got wore down because of chasing that guy around. Final moments with Dave Campo, Monday night coaching with Campo here on Hacker After Dark. Coach, I want to get to Tampa Bay in a moment. Quickly, one guy on the defense, Trayvon Walker, one of his best games as a Jaguar. There was a lot of negative last night, Coach. To me, one of the positives is Walker looks like he's getting better every week. Yeah, I think he is. And and the one thing that I noticed more than anything else yesterday was his get-off. You know, he wasn't really waiting around to see if they're going to run past or get my hands on it. He came off the football yesterday. And, you know, some of the – when you get sacked, some of it's the offensive tackle, you know, is deep-setting or he's not very good or whatever. But I thought he made some really good uh, plays, and one of them was when he ran the guy down on a scramble after he went up, you know, forced him out of the pocket. And then he ran uh, Lamar down uh, about 15 yards down the field. So I think the guy's getting better. And uh, that's a positive because if this team, let's say this team makes the playoffs and they get knocked out in the first round, I don't know if that's going to happen. Or if they don't make the playoffs, I think he's the guy that you can count on that's going to get better from year to year. All right, Coach, the Jaguars have been caught by both Indianapolis and Houston. They have the same record. The Jaguars own the tiebreaker, which is why they're still technically in first place. But as I told you last night, it almost seems like the Jaguars are behind Houston and Indy right now with the way they're playing compared to the way Jacksonville's playing. And it's complicated now when we find out Trevor Lawrence is in concussion protocol with all that being said, they have a gigantic game in Tampa. So if you're Doug Peterson going in today and the rest of the week, I mean, what's your message to the guys? Well, first of all, I'm, I, I think we might be better off in that mode where, you know, you're, you're, you're fighting to stay with them. Uh, I think we might be better football team with that. I think we've been one of those teams that cannot handle success and, uh, you know, they just ran into a game yesterday where, you know, they were playing against one of the best teams in the league. So to me, you walk in and you say, hey, guys, uh, okay, it's time to go. Uh, we need to uh, worry about one thing, and that's going into this football game, being totally prepared with what we do in practice and go in there with the idea that we're going we're gonna to play a clean football game and uh, we've got as good, if not better, talent than Tampa Bay. We need to go in there and prove it. The issue this week, Coach, for Trevor Lawrence, it's not a pain tolerance issue, right? I mean, the ankle, the toe, the knee, all these issues in the past, Trevor proved how tough he was. There's no doubt how tough he is. This has nothing to do with toughness. This is an NFL-sanctioned <laughs> protocol that he's got to pass like four or five different steps to be able to play on Sunday a majority of guys do not get out of the protocol in seven days there's no way to know if Trevor's going to get in or out of it by the time they kick off in Tampa so you have to prepare I would imagine as if C.J. Beathard is going to be your starting quarterback yeah unfortunately it's going to be very similar to the when he got the ankle 
going into the the uh, next ball game. You know, you've got to uh, Bethard's got to get at least uh, three quarters of the snaps, if not all of them, if he can't practice. Now, the one thing that is at least, and again, uh, you know, I'm a armchair doctor here. I don't know. Uh, number one, I don't know what the protocol is. I don't know what steps he has to go through. But he finished the football game. To me, the symptoms were probably minor, but they have to do it. That's the league. That's the way the league is, and it's right, rightfully so. If he's got symptoms, he needs to be in that scenario. So, you know, uh, the, the positive is that he might be able to get back by next week. The negative is uh, he hasn't performed real well when, he's, when he hasn't practiced. Coach, final question, and I hate to be that guy, but I hear fans last night and calling in and on social media saying, oh, they got Tampa and Carolina and Tennessee. Well, okay, Carolina's bad. Tennessee is probably not going to play for very much in their finale. Maybe ruining Jacksonville's season could be motivation for them, and we'll get to those games in the coming weeks. But if any Jaguar fan listening to my voice right now expects the Jaguars to have a, quote, easy time with Tampa, you're living in Neverland. I mean, the Captain Hook and, and Smee and Peter Pan are your neighbors. Tampa Bay's 7-7. Seven seven. They're in first place in the South. They're fighting their tails off for a division title. They just went into Lambeau and put one on Green Bay yesterday. For the life of me, I have no idea why I see Jaguar fans thinking the Jaguars are going to have an easy time with Tampa. I'm probably going to pick Tampa to win. And, Coach, I think Tampa's probably the favorite to win this game. Well, I think they will be the favorite at home in the way we're playing and the way they're playing. Uh, the one thing you better keep in mind, uh, I, I say this all the time, is no JVs in the NFL. And if we were sitting here at 10-3, and three, we might be saying, okay, uh, we should win this football game. Well, that's why I said that Doug Peterson needs to tell them we better play our best game going in there because, uh, you know, listening to Todd Bowles talk, I listened to a little of his press conference, the head coach at Tampa. He said that uh, uh, the quarterback is doing everything right right now, Baker Mayfield. He's doing everything right. Well, when you got a quarterback with – with the receivers they've got up there that's doing everything right, uh, they always have been a decent defensive team. Th this is not going to be an easy game. Uh, there is no easy game from here on out. I don't care if it's Carolina. We better focus on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and we better find a way to win that football game. Christmas Eve, that also complicates things too. And then uh, 4 o'clock kick. Thank you, the NFL schedule makers, for that. Regardless, win or lose, the plan right now is to have a fifth quarter after Christmas Eve's ball game. So hopefully, Coach, we're still talking about a first-place Jacksonville Jaguars because for the first time in a, a month plus, there is a realistic possibility that when you and I hit the airwaves for the fifth quarter on Sunday, the Jaguars may not be in first place in the South, and I cannot believe I'm saying that based on where this team was three weeks ago. Well, we just better not uh, get into the situation that the Titans did last year when they lost their last six or whatever. You know, we've got to win. Uh, if, if Look, if we don't make the playoffs, we weren't ready. We weren't ready to take the next step. And I've always felt that they were a year, a year ahead last year. Uh, we'll see. 
But I, you know, you got to go into this football game, even Steven, whether they're favored or your favorite, you better come in there with the idea that the team that plays the best is going to win. Head coach Dave Campo is with us every Monday here on Hacker After Dark. Coach, I appreciate you, my friend. I'll see you Sunday for the fifth quarter. You bet, Hack. And uh, listen, uh, have a happy, a Merry Christmas. I'll see you beforehand, but I'm giving it to you in advance. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Week 15, National Football League wrapping up right now. Philadelphia and Seattle. Eagles 7-0 over Seattle to Jalen Hurts with a rushing touchdown. Eagles 7, Seahawks nothing at the beginning of the second quarter. So, the Jaguars lost again. They're now 2-5 at home. Obviously, it's okay because they're self-inflicted wounds, right? And they're beating themselves and yada, yada, yada. We, we keep hearing that over and over and over. They've beat themselves five times in seven appearances at home. Good teams do not go two and five at home. They just simply do not. And good teams do not score one touchdown in 12 quarters of your three biggest home games of the year. But that's the reality the Jaguars find themselves in. Another reality is that they are tied in the win-loss column with both the Texans and the Colts. Now, the Jaguars do own a tiebreaker over both. So as it stands right now, Jacksonville is still in first place. But what a win for the Houston Texans yesterday. I don't want to hear about injuries. Don't want to hear about it. Jaguars are banged up. Every team's banged up. You know who was banged up yesterday? Houston. No Will Anderson. No Tank Dell. No Nico Collins. No George Fant. No CJ Stroud. I just named you six starters. They were without. They go into Nashville, fall behind 13-0 to the Titans, who were wearing the oil with throwbacks. The Titans felt pretty good about themselves. Coming off that Miami win, Houston went in there and beat them. What a win for D'Amico Ryans and the Texans to get to 8-6 and six on the year. Indianapolis beats Pittsburgh. Gardner Minshew looks pretty good in that game. The Colts are 8-6. and six. Here's what's complicated about this. The Colts and the Texans both have to finish with a better record to win the division. If they finish with the same record as Jacksonville, Jacksonville will go because of tiebreakers. Three games left for each. It begins this Sunday. Colts travel to Atlanta. Then they host Las Vegas. Then they host Houston. The Texans host Cleveland. Then they host Tennessee. Then they go to Indy, and of course, as we know, Jacksonville goes to Tampa, then has Carolina, then has Tennessee. So the Jaguars, on paper, probably have the easiest schedule. The Trevor Lawrence concussion protocol situation is interesting. That complicates things. Keep in mind, C.J. Stroud of Houston is still in concussion protocol. It's been eight days for him. He's not out of it yet. 
and the Colts and the Texans play each other week 18. Here's what you need to know. Here's as simple as I can make it. If Jacksonville goes 2-1 and one in their last three, that would force either Indy or, ten, or uh, Houston to win out. If Jacksonville goes 3-0, and oh, they win the division. Jacksonville controls their own destiny. But assuming that doesn't happen, let's say Jacksonville goes 2-1. and one. That would mean the Colts or the Texans would have to win out, go 3-0 and oh, to, beat, to win the division. And with the knowledge that they play each other week 18, again, they both cannot go 3-0. and oh. So Jacksonville's still in a good spot. I'm not sure what that's going to get you. It might get you a rematch with Cleveland if you're lucky. I'll tell you this. I want no part of the Buffalo Bills right now. None. None. Imagine being the two seed or the three seed in the AFC playoffs and your reward is Buffalo in round one who just absolutely beat the crap out of the Dallas Cowboys yesterday. AFC playoffs are going to be a whole lot of fun. Will Jacksonville be a part of it? Or will it be one of the biggest collapses in franchise history? John Shipley, Jaguar Report, does a terrific job covering the Jacksonville Jaguars. And he's always kind enough to give us some time here on Hacker After Dark. Let's review last night. Let's preview Tampa. My buddy John Shipley, next. 1010XL, 92.5 FM. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL at 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The Jacksonville Jaguars have now lost three games in a row. They are 8-6. and six. They are tied with Houston and Indianapolis atop the AFC South. They do own the tiebreakers right now, so they are still in first place. But the division championship is much, much more in doubt than it was just 14 days ago. With that, let me welcome in my friend John Shipley. You read his terrific work at Jaguar Report, which is a part of Sports Illustrated, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. John, how we doing? Hey, doing good, my friend. How you doing? John, I'm good. I'm better than the Jaguars. All right. Uh, Sunday night football, first time in 14 years, and that is the performance they put out there. Your thoughts on the 23-7 to loss to Baltimore? Yeah, no, I thought, you know, obviously going into the game, I, I, I picked Baltimore and honestly a bigger loss than the Jaguars even had. I, you know, I, I thought maybe some encouraging signs here and there, specifically on the defense side of the ball. But it felt like, you know, really like how a lot of the Jaguars games have felt this season and really how every single loss other than the 49ers loss has really gone for the Jaguars in which it's, you know, just been a team that's beats itself. You know, it's one thing if, you know, you're just outright beat and you're not the better team that day, but you know, the, the amount of self-inflicted wounds the Jaguars make, it's, you know, really gotten to a, you don't know, obviously a level where it's impacting wins and losses. And it's really kind of defined their season to this point. I thought this game was a perfect example of it, you know, between 12 to 16 points, potentially left on the board in the first half alone. You know, that, that's that's just not something that you're, you know, going to win with. Well, no, and it was a comedy of errors. I mean, two missed field goals from Brandon McManus. All of a sudden, he's not very good. Um, Trevor fumbles the ball without being touched. But to me, the most egregious by far 
was whatever that was at the end of the first half. I mean, John, that cannot happen, and particularly in front of a national TV audience, man. I mean, that was that was embarrassing. Yeah, no, absolutely. It, you can really go through any any of those, uh, you know, four instances and draw a number of reasons why they shouldn't have happened. You know, obviously the the spike, non-spike was a big play. Uh, they were always, you know, trying to go for that play. It seemed like Spike was never really in question. But, you know, just it, 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 it's odd. It feels like a play that you should practice, you know, a million times. I'm not saying they haven't practiced a million <laughs> times, but I'm not sure how it goes, how it exactly goes the way they did. You know, whether they thought Washington would be able to get out of bounds or whatever the reason was, you know, if you attempt to throw there, at least, you know, don't throw it inbounds. So it, it really seemed like, you know, I kind of encapsulated the Jaguars' offense these last few weeks. John Shipley of Jaguar Report. All right, obviously Trevor in concussion protocol. We'll get to that in a moment. Before we get there, let's talk about his performance. Is the criticism of Trevor Lawrence here locally warranted right now? The criticism for last night, I think, is warranted. The criticism as a whole, I don't think so. I mean, two weeks ago, he – he was playing some of the best football of his career. And it's always about what have you done lately? and What have you done in the last game? And obviously I know this was, you know, more or less a must win game for the Jaguars, you know, on a big stage, but in a similar situation a few weeks ago, he thrived. And it, 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 the conversation about Lawrence really depends on how did he play in the most recent game? I think my, my stance on Lawrence, you know, really for three years has been, I think he's an excellent, you know, quarterback, probably the most talented in franchise history. Is he the generational quarterback that Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay and the NFL draft machine sold you that he would be? Maybe not, but for a 24-year-old, 30-year quarterback who, you know, understandably was pretty raw coming into the NFL to playing at Clemson and then having his first year basically wasted, I don't think any, you know, general criticism, people asking whether he's the guy, people wondering whether they should pay him. I'm still of the opinion that, you know, he's an excellent quarterback. He had a bad night, though, you know, Good quarterbacks have bad nights, and he absolutely have. You know, John, it's interesting. You've covered this team now for, what, six years? You've been around them a long, long time. And the fan base in particular, look, I think it's fair to criticize Trevor, but does that mean that you want him gone? No. I mean, like, like I made a comment on social media about Trevor and, 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 you know, his poor performance, and you would have thought I was the devil incarnate. I mean, the uh, – I don't even know how to describe it. It's just the sensitivity that some people here have. Anytime you talk negatively about Trevor Lawrence, I understand that people want him to be our Mahomes or our, you know, Jalen Hurts, our Joe Burrow. I don't think he is that right now, and people are having a hard time wrapping their minds around that. I think. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's absolutely fair. You know, he's not one of the two or three best quarterbacks in the NFL, and I, I, I don't think he's safe from any criticism when he doesn't play well. I, but I do think more often than not in the case, he is really the straw that serves the drinks for the Jaguars. And it's not often that he's the biggest reason that they're struggling. Last night, you know, he, he was one of the major factors, if not the major factor. But I, I would say that that's, you know, not the case very frequently, even when they're playing poorly. It doesn't seem like that usually falls at his feet. But again, you know, bad game. I, I, I don't think anybody would really deny it. Anybody should try to deny it. But I also think in the context of everything, that is still a guy who you can be incredibly, you know, encouraged about moving forward, even if this year hasn't gone, you know, the way people thought it would. John, clearly they miss Christian Kirk, but my response to that is this. 
in three home games against Kansas City, San Francisco, and Baltimore, the team has scored one touchdown in those 12 quarters. That's pathetic. So even when Kirk was out there in big-time games, they were not getting anything done. They did not score a TD against Kansas City. They did not score a TD against San Francisco. What has gone so wrong for this offense in these big matchups? Yeah, no, I, I think that you're exactly, you know, on, on the point there. I think, you know, I said after the San Francisco 49ers loss that that game proved that, you know, they just weren't ready to be one of the NFL's, you know, elites yet. And I, I think everything that we've seen then since then has shown it. You know, it, those three defenses are probably three of the, you know, maybe six, seven best in the NFL right now. So I think most offenses would struggle, maybe not as bad as they have struggled, but I think that also shows – you know, just what the gap is right now, that the Jaguars specifically on offense just did not take that leap of this year, and they're not ready to, you know, go toe-to-toe with the 49ers of the NFL, with the Baltimore Ravens. You know, it, again, you know, all, all I'd say at least two of those three games are games where the Jaguars had opportunities on offense. They moved the ball at times, but they just, you know, self-inflicted wounds. The 49ers game was a game that, you know, I, I, I think there's no other game in a Doug Peterson era where – they were just, you know, whooped that badly. Maybe the Detroit Lions game, but I can't remember any other one. And those three games absolutely, you know, kind of tell the story of their play at home this year. John Shipley of Jaguar Report. John, are you concerned with Brandon McManus moving forward? I mean, I think you have to be. You know, he's missed four of his last five. And obviously, you know, I think most of those has been 50-plus yards. I think it's two 55-yarders. Last night's 55-yarder, you know, when you take in the win, it, I think that's a bit – easier to stomach than some of the other missed ones but overall you know he was signed for his big lay he was signed to make those kind of kicks so i i think especially when they're passing up you know situations potentially go for it and you know having his leg is you know impacting the decision making i i think you have to be concerned when he's not making it it seems like this was the kind of funk that you know he got in with denver last year and it you know, he, despite his great start to the season, really seems like it's kind of carried over, especially in critical moments as of late. Jaguars have problems. We don't have a full update on Zay Jones, but you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out if it's a hamstring. There might be a question about him on Sunday. Obviously, no Christian Kirk. Uh, Calvin Ridley, uh, I've got to tell you, John, more people I talk to here the less people that want him to be re-signed long-term. I mean, what looked like an unbelievable wide receiver room in training camp has turned into anything but that here late in the year. Yeah, I think there's definitely, you know, the story of how the season has gone has really hit the wide receiver room. It always felt like the room in general was a three-player room, and if any injuries happened to it, they would obviously, you know, have some issues at position. I think, you know, Parker Washington's made some nice plays here and there, but I don't think he's really ready to be a starter yet. Uh, you, you saw, you know, some of the reserves last night. Elijah Cooks obviously had a pretty bad red zone drop. It, the position in general, you know, the play just hasn't been as consistent as maybe it was even at times last year. And there are reasons for that. I don't think anybody's saying, like, you know, I, I've seen people say, you know, maybe to miss Marvin Jones. I, I don't think it's anything like that. I, I think it's just, you know, simple execution things. And, you know, Ridley, on the other hand, you know, seems like games the season with him has really ebbed and flow you know there are some games you know cleveland browns game where he absolutely doesn't look like somebody that you need to bring back and then games like i honestly thought he played well last night you know made a couple impressive catches had one that really should have been a touchdown where he looks like you know a good piece of the offense just for whatever reason 
hasn't meshed as cleanly as I think anybody would have guessed that it would. John Shipley of Jaguar Report. John, before we look ahead quickly to the defense, defense I thought played well last night, certainly played well enough for the Jaguars to win, and it appears Trayvon Walker, if you want to look for a positive, is continuing to get better. Yeah, absolutely. I thought the defense, you know, obviously Lamar Jackson, you know, got his. He's going to make plays, uh, especially in big situations. I, I thought Lamar was honestly terrific last night, save for two throws, you know, the interception he threw, and then the Isaiah likely jump ball <laughs> while it worked was obviously not a good decision. I thought outside of that, Lamar was fantastic. So, hey, hey, the defense obviously gave up some plays here and there, but that's going to happen when you're playing an MVP, you know, one of the NFL's best players in general, not just at the quarterback position, but I thought in general the defense is really what kept them in the game at times. You know, the fact that it was a one-score, you know, 10-point game for much of the game until late when turnovers started to bite the Jaguars, I thought was a, you know, direct result of the defense hanging in there and playing tough. All right, John, we move forward, and it's complicated now knowing that Trevor Lawrence is in concussion protocol. I mean, look, last year after Detroit, this year after Indianapolis, and after Cincinnati, it was a pain tolerance. It was a a toughness issue, if you will, and Trevor answered the bell. We know he is an unbelievably tough dude that plays through a lot of injuries. This week, it's not about toughness. It's about a a five-step NFL-sanctioned protocol that he's going to have to go through to be able to keep his consecutive start streak alive. Not a lot of guys get through it in seven days. Some do. Amari Cooper got through it, as an example, in seven days. We saw C.J. Stroud was unable to get through it. A lot of quarterbacks don't get through it in a week. It's very early, obviously, but do we have to anticipate C.J. Beathard making a start in Tampa on Sunday? Oh, I think it's a very real possibility. You know, like you said there, there are some instances, I think Chris Olave did it earlier this year, Brock Purdy as well, where guys have been able to play the week after being placed in the concussion protocol, but it, it doesn't happen very frequently. You know, like you said, there's five phases a player must pass. So I'm not ready to say that there's no chance Trevor Lawrence plays, but we'll obviously see this week, you know, with how he's trending, how it really, you know, looks for him being able to potentially play in the game. So I, I think there's a very real chance, you know, a bigger chance than, at any other point in Lawrence's career that, uh, you know, C.J. Beathard might play. Because like you said, it's not a pain tolerance thing. It's not a toughness thing. It's, you know, something that, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, is completely out of his hands. And they go to play a very hot Tampa team in Tampa, a Tampa team that's fighting for a division title in their own right. Jacksonville finds themselves in an absolute dogfight now with Houston and Indianapolis. And I got to tell you, John, of the three games this week, Houston gets Cleveland at home. Indy goes to Atlanta. Jacksonville goes to Tampa. All three have tough games. Jacksonville, because of the road and how hot Tampa is, might have the toughest. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think Tampa is probably the toughest game for any of those teams, you know, left on that schedule. And uh, a lot of times it's about how you're playing at the moment. You know, the Jaguars obviously haven't been playing very well. Uh, these last few weeks while Tampa has been playing some of their best football. Uh, I know Dave Canales has been, you know, really strong hire over there for them. They just put up 34 points on the Green Bay Packers. I believe Baker Bayfield had a perfect passer rating. So there's a lot of things going right for them uh, at this moment. And, you know, at this point in time, you know, there's not a lot of things going right for the Jaguars. If, If these teams had played a month ago, a month and a half ago, think, you know, it's probably a different result, different feeling around the game. But as of right now, the Bucks game looks incredibly difficult. John, do you still think they're going to win the division? 
I, I do think that they're going to win the division. I, I think they can do it even, you know, by going two and one, you know, Colts and Texans uh, obviously still have to play each other. I'm not completely sold, you know, uh, obviously each team has rattled off some impressive wins, but I, I'm not sold that any game on their schedule is, you know, an easy, absolute win. They have no chance of losing type game, you know, especially just with how the season has gone. <laughs> it feels like for really everybody. So I do think they still win the division. Uh, obviously I'm not, hundred percent confident in it. I was much more confident, you know, three weeks ago or even two weeks ago, but obviously, you know, there's still a path there that it can happen, but uh, a lot of it's in their own hands, but that doesn't mean much at this point, considering how the last three weeks has gone. Two and one probably gets it done. Assuming one of those two is against Tennessee, then you would own both tiebreakers against the Texans and you already own the tiebreaker against Indianapolis. We'll see. Let them know going into Tampa next week, John, about Jaguar Report and what you guys have coming out. Yeah, uh, you know, we'll obviously be covering a team up until, you know, Christmas Eve and their trip to over to Tampa. You can listen to the Jaguar Report podcast. We'll have an episode out later today after Doug Peterson speaks and then an episode later in the week previewing the game as well as the pieces throughout the week, you know, previewing the matchup, uh, key players to watch, key storylines, the good stuff. John Shipley of Jaguar Report. John, have a happy holidays, brother. If I don't talk to you, happy new year as well. And we'll talk again soon, my friend. Uh, You too, friend. This is Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Already seeing the promos, Denmark, and I don't like it. The changing of the guard in the Southeastern Conference. Coming to ESPN and ABC in 2024. That is still going to be very odd next year. No SEC on CBS. Of course, Texas and Oklahoma about to join the SEC. You're going to have Washington and Oregon. USC and UCLA in the Big Ten. The Big 12 has a complete makeover with Arizona, Arizona State. Uh, Who else? Colorado and Utah. And then, of course, in the ACC, you got Cal, Stanford, and SMU coming. Man, college football is going to look different. For teams playing in bowl games or certainly in the playoff, this season is still very much going on. But it's transfer portal season. And believe it or not, on Wednesday, it's the early signing period. The formal national signing day, I guess still technically is in February, But about 80 to 90% of guys now will sign on Wednesday, less than 48 hours from now. A lot of guys in our area, certainly Florida, Florida State, Miami, and Georgia, will sign a lot of guys on Wednesday for uh, the early signing period in December. Andrew Spivey, GatorCountry.com. He's one of our guys in Gainesville. Let's talk about Billy Napier's recruiting class, guys they're hoping to flip guys they're hoping to hang on to, and Florida's been pretty active in the transfer portal over the last 24 hours or so. Not one, not two, but three brand new commitments out of the transfer portal. We'll talk about all that next. Andrew Spivey, GatorCountry.com, previewing Florida and early signing day on Wednesday as Hacker After Dark rolls on. It's a Monday night in Jacksonville, Florida with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. Well, bowl season is underway, 
But really, right now, there is so much going on in the world of college football from the transfer portal. The early signing period is this Wednesday. Really, there's too much going on in the month of December. I wonder if they're going to look at moving things around at some point in the future. But as it stands right now, it could be a very interesting week at the University of Florida. And with that, let's head to Gainesville. One of our guys down there is Andrew Spivey. GatorCountry.com does a terrific job covering the Florida football team, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Andrew, how you doing? I'm doing good, and yeah, you make a good point, and you know, Hugh Freeze brought that up last week. Uh, you know, teams that are in the bowl games, think about how you know, just absolutely hectic their schedule is right now. You know, trying to get their team prepared for a bowl game, trying to navigate the transfer portal, trying to navigate high school recruiting, you know, and if, you know, God forbid you lose a coach and you're having to look for a coach, that's a lot of stuff going on in a 24-hour period. Uh, You know, I don't know that having the transfer window open earlier or, or, or maybe even a little later. I, I don't know. There has to be some kind of change. Too much is going on, and I think a lot of people are getting overlooked because of it. Yeah, I thought it was interesting, Andrew. I had Bill Bender of the Sporting News on my show last week, and he basically said the transfer portal being open right now is the equivalent of if the NFL started free agency on Wild Card Weekend. Uh, it's just insane that they do it right now when you're in the middle of your season still with these bowl games on the horizon. But nevertheless, that's where we are. And with Florida, look, people were getting upset. They've been hot in the last 24 hours, right? They have had three commitments out of the transfer portal at the time you and I are talking. Yeah, three and, you know, three at positions of needs uh, started yesterday afternoon, uh, when San Diego State uh, offensive line transfer uh, Brandon Crenshaw Dixon uh, committed after his official visit. And, you know, uh, Dixon's a guy who is a, a really, really good pass blocker, uh, struggles a little bit in the running game, uh, but as a guy that's, you know, started at both tackle spots, left and right. And if you watch Florida last year, you know they need tackles in a very, very big way, um, and especially need someone to kind of team up with Austin Barber. Uh, so getting him was, was big, and, you know, obviously we have to see how he adjust you know when he gets to the SEC but uh, he's a guy that they think pretty highly of and think he could step in and fill one of those tackle spots and then uh, yesterday evening uh, go up and they fill uh, another uh, hole with uh, Joey Slatman uh, the pin transfer and he was a highly regarded guy I mean Auburn jumped in the mix for him Texas A&M jumped in the mix from him. Michigan was in the mix from him. And uh, Florida beat out uh, North Carolina and, and Michigan for him. Um, a guy who was an all-conference guy and a guy that could play all over on that defensive line from inside at nose tackle all the way outside to be a pass rusher at 6'4", 300. Uh, a guy that is very, very good, very sound technique-wise. And You know, I think a guy that, you know, does he come in and, and become an all-conference guy? I, I don't know. I mean, maybe. Uh, is he an All-American? Probably not, but he's a guy that comes in and fills a gap for Florida, gives some experience to help some of those younger guys like Kelby Collins, TJ Searcy, and, and maybe even a Justice Boone as he you know kind of recovers from injury. And then uh, they went and got an Oregon DB transfer in, uh, in Traquez uh, Bridges, who is an uh, Alabama guy uh, who went out to Oregon and played, and a uh, guy who's played a lot of corner, uh, but wants to get back to his roots at safety. And uh, Again, if you watch Florida to play you know they need some safety help uh, especially to kind of team up with Jordan Castile so uh, three big pickups there and three big positions of needs you know going into the 
the signing period, I, I thought, you know, Florida needed uh, one to two offensive linemen, probably two. Uh, they needed a couple of defensive linemen and a couple of DBs, and they need a receiver. And, you know, they're still in the mix for a receiver. Uh, the Wisconsin uh, uh, transfer Dyke is uh, as a guy that is uh, kind of training Florida's way there. So you can hit that. You know, you, you feel pretty good about the portal. And, you know, there's still a little bit of time to go in the portal. I mean, guys are still going to visit. Uh, guys are still going to, you know, enter the portal and exit the portal as you have until January 1st to do that. Andrew Spivey, GatorCountry.com. The portal giveth, the portal taketh away. How big a deal is it for you, man, Mielin, Trevor Etienne, and Chris McClellan to no longer be with the Gator program? Yeah, I mean, you know, when you when you look at it, you know, that, that's three big ones. And, you know, I had this conversation with somebody uh, the other day, losing Princely and uh, McClellan, you know, are, are those guys, were they all Americans? No. You know, were they absolute, you know, difference makers? No, they weren't. But they were two of your better players on a team that, you know, lacks some talent right now and a team that, you know, has a tough schedule next year. So losing those two hurt because of that, because of the experience, because of just what they kind of brought to the table. Again, I don't expect either one of them to go anywhere and, you know, end up being uh, first-round draft picks, but they're, they're contributors. Uh, losing ETN just hurts. There's just no way around, you know, losing ETN. I mean, that was probably your best player on offense, uh, him and Trey Wilson. And, you know, he was your go-to guy in the last few games when you needed scores. That was your guy. And, and even furthermore than that is it was a perception standpoint that you just lost your your best player with a year going into next year where, you know, everyone kind of thinks Billy's job's on the line and he's on the hot seat and uh, they need to score points and, and win football games in, in the toughest schedule in America and you just lost your best player. So that one hurt. Um, you know, can you feel his role at running back? Sure. I mean, you know, running backs now, you know, they rotate in and out. But from the perception standpoint, it hurts in a very, very big way. Andrew, you took the words right out of my mouth. I think Trevor Etienne's a very good player, but optically that was the bigger deal to me. Look, I seriously, I wonder this. If his name was Trevor Johnson with the same stat line, I think people would be upset, but I don't know if they'd be over the top because he's Trevor Etienne and because of his brother and all the stories that have been written about him. I think optically that's a bigger deal from a PR standpoint than maybe even what it is on the field. Yeah, I agree. And and again, that's the, the, unfortunately the day and age we live in with social media and, you know, with the, the NILs and stuff like that where, you know, guys are out promoting their self more and more. And, you know, guys are buying T-shirts and different memorabilia of each player. And, you know, you have a guy like Travis with, you know, just up the road in Jacksonville who – promotes his brother a lot and, you know, talks highly of his brother. And um, we all know Travis's success at Clemson. And, you know, while Trevor hasn't had that, we all thought he could be that guy. Uh, so, like you said, it's just the the optics of it look really bad. It looks like, you know, there was something more to the uh, puzzle in the locker room than maybe we all thought. And, and it just hurts. Uh, but, again, as far as on the field, you know, you got Montreal, you got Treon Webb. And, you're bringing in uh, uh, Daniels out of Mississippi, and you, you have a chance to flip the Arkansas running back. And not to mention, you get Cam Carroll back from an injury. And, you know, heading into the fall last year before he tore his ACL, well, there was a lot of reports that he was looking really good in scrimmages. So, uh, you know, as far as running backs go, that's something I'll kind of never question with Billy Napier. I think he'll, he'll be fine there. Um, it just perception at the moment looked bad when Trevor Etienne got in the portal. 
Andrew Spivey, GatorCountry.com. All right, on Wednesday, Andrew, is the early signing period. Uh, used to be a, a gigantic day. You and I have had this talk. I wish it would go back to February. Where it was kind of the Super Bowl for recruit Knicks, but now it's a mainly done in December, and to me it's kind of lost a little bit of its luster, kind of buried by the NFL a little bit. But having said that, the Gators have some questions coming into Wednesday. Uh, first and foremost, it appears all is well, and DJ Lagway will be a Florida Gator by Wednesday evening. Yeah, I mean, there were some, you know, some questions going into the weekend. Uh, you know, last week, uh, Texas A&M made a stop by there. Clemson made a stop. And really, A&M was the school that kind of put the most pressure on uh, on Florida. You know, Lagway grew up an Aggies fan, you know, pretty close to uh, to College Station. And, um, you know, it talked a lot about A&M before he committed to Florida. And then, you know, Mike Elko gets the job. They they bring in the offensive court, the new offensive coordinator. And, uh, they went all in on DJ, and you know when you kind of look at you know the optics of everything, you you had the opportunity to go play for your childhood school with a new coach that's probably going to be around your whole career. You go to Florida where you know you're going to be the savior or look to be the savior with a coach that you know has a little bit of the hot seat, and that was what A and M pitched to him big time. And, you know, I'll say this credit to DJ Lagwa. he's a guy who. It really believes that what he says and his word means something. Uh, he's really took on this role of being the leader of this class. And, uh, you know, props to him for, for sticking it out. And, you know, I, I always say this, and, and if you're a great football player, you're a great quarterback, coaching changes don't affect you as much as, you know, some other guys do. Let's go closer to home. L.J. McCray, the five-star D lineman from Daytona Beach, Mainland, who just – had a state championship. Mainland beat St. Augustine for the state title. We know he's visited Auburn. We know he's visited Florida State. What do we know about McCray going into Wednesday? Yeah, I mean, Auburn, Florida State, they haven't given up at all on, on McCray. And, you know, McCray's been pretty open about wanting to take those visits. Uh, you know, right now, everything kind of seems to point towards Florida holding on to to McCray, he has a really good relationship with Mike P in Gainesville. Uh, Billy Napier, he also has a good relationship with Lackway. Um, everything that we've been told is McCray, you know, just wanted to take visits and, and hear everybody out, but that ultimately he felt Florida was home. Uh, he sees the opportunity that he's going to probably play and play a lot as a freshman next year. So uh, I would say right now I, I'm picking Florida to hold on to McCray. Uh, which is an absolute monstrous win for the Gators. All right, so if they get, if you're right, they lose Phil Samy, they get McCray, that'd be pretty good. Now Amaris Williams is a guy that's been committed to Florida for a long time. There was some talk, I believe, Ohio State, but now all you hear is Auburn. What's your thought about Amaris Williams, who still, as we are speaking, is still, I guess, verbally committed to Florida? Yeah, it's a weird one. It's a it's a really weird one. You know, you you have an opportunity with Williams, who you know he's been a guy who who is you know been up and down, up and down on um, you know where he's uh, gonna visit, where he's gonna you know uh, uh, commit to, and everything else. And, you know, for about the last two months, it seemed like his you know recruitment has wavered. Uh, Ohio State was the leader for a while. 
and then Auburn jumped out of nowhere and became the leader. And uh, Georgia even got in the mix a little bit there. Uh, Auburn's the team that, you know, my opinion right now has the most buzz around it and is the team likely to flip Amarius. But there's a lot of optimism still in Gainesville that they can hold on to him. And, you know, rightfully so. I mean, he's had every opportunity to flip and he just hasn't flipped yet. Um, there's something keeping him holding on to Florida. Uh, you know, right now I would say it's probably 60-40, 70-30 that he goes to Auburn. But, uh, you know, this is one that's probably going to come down to Wednesday morning when uh, ink hits paper. Andrew Spivey, GatorCountry.com. All right, Andrew, give us a blueprint of Wednesday. What else should Gator fans be looking at? Any other guys that you think are in danger of flipping and uncommitted guys that may ultimately choose the Gators? Yeah, probably the only other guy that Florida needs to really pay attention to is a Darius Hayes flipping to Miami. Uh, took a late visit there uh, on Thursday for an official visit uh, over the weekend there. Um, and that's one that, you know, kind of has Florida a little bit concerned. Uh, Miami has a lot, a lot of momentum there. And, you know, linebacker is kind of a position of need for Florida. And it, it does look like Miami, um, you know, may steal the, the long-time Gator commit. Uh, on Wednesday. It uh, does look like Florida has an opportunity, though, to go flip uh, running back Jaden Blah from Arkansas, the, the Georgian native, uh, visited Alabama this past weekend, Florida the weekend before. Uh, he has a great rela- relationship with Jaluk down in Gatesville, likes the uh, you know the running game and, and the ability that Florida has of rotating so many guys into the game. Um, so I like Florida to flip Blah from uh, from Arkansas, probably I would say Hayes flips to Miami. And then the big one, and it, we won't know that decision until early January when he goes out to the uh, uh, All-American Bowl out in San Diego is McCray's teammate, uh, Zay Mincy, the safety. It uh, looks like it's going to be down to Florida, Miami, Alabama's kind of slingering there at third. Uh, and this is one that's kind of going back and forth between Florida and Miami. Florida had the the bus for a while. Then Miami picked it back up, and he took official visit or took a visit to Florida. Florida kind of got that back. Will Harris was there uh, last week as well. So this is one that's going back and forth. And again, he'll sign on Wednesday, but we won't know a final decision until January uh, when he announces. But that that won't be a big one as well. Um, but again, I, I think Bond Hayes are the two to watch uh, outside of the committee guys this coming week. Andrew, final question, and I tell you this every time. You're one of the best when it comes to recruiting. You've done it for many years, and I think you do a terrific job. Tell Gator fans who are not as in tune to it as you are, is it going to be a good year? The guys that they've lost, how much does that hurt the overall class? I mean, how would if everything goes to plan the way you believe it will, how would you assess Billy Napier's recruiting class this year? Um, you know, I think they hit a home run with DJ, um, you know, having a guy who is a, you know, a, a generational talent at quarterback guy broke the state record for touchdowns in a year in Texas over Greg McElroy's old record, uh, you know, getting a guy like McCray. Those are two guys that are instant, you know, difference makers on this team that make you think, okay, this is really good. Um, the middle of the pack is, is pretty good with Miles Graham and, you know, uh, Fletcher Westfall, the offensive lineman. Uh, so that they've got some good pieces. I think they miss, you know, that defensive line class that looked so good a month and a half, two months ago, where they had Amarius Williams, where they had Jamonte Waller committed, uh, Nazir Johnson, who flipped to Georgia. Uh, so I think that they they hit a home run in several areas, and then in a few areas, it, it just didn't look good. Defensive line being one of 
of them offensive line. They still didn't, you know, go out and sign that absolute day one starter at tackle. Uh, you know, they got it in the portal, but not in the high school ranks. Uh, and, and then, the, you know, the bottom half of the, of the class is kind of, you know, just me. But that's kind of to be expected there uh, for a class that, you know, was at one time number three and looked really, really good to go through a five and seven season. I think you're looking at an A plus, you know, effort because you were able to hold on to the guys you were. Um, was it as good as it was? Absolutely not. You know, I'd say it's probably in a B range there um, needs to get better. For a five and seven season, it's it's pretty good. I'm actually shocked that it held on as much as it did um, after as bad as the season went. Andrew Spivey, GatorCountry.com. Andrew, tell the folks here in Jacksonville that want to follow the signing day coverage on Wednesday what they can expect over at GatorCountry.com. Yeah, we'll be up and you know ready for the fax machine. We're still doing fax machines, uh, you know, and. 2023 here and uh yes uh letter of start coming in they'll be in about seven o'clock uh starting on wednesday and they'll come in throughout the day so we'll be updating as those come in and uh, you know uh, updating kind of the latest on what's going on uh, with Ba and hayes and uh xavier and amarius williams if anything changes there we'll be updating that throughout the day and then you know kind of following up on that we'll be still following the portal as you know wednesday won't end the portal for these guys and then we'll get ready to head down to Orlando and watch DJ play in the uh, Under Armour All-America game. Andrew, great stuff, man. Know you're busy this week. Really appreciate it. If I don't talk to you beforehand, have a happy holidays, and we'll do it again early in 2024. Absolutely. Please put my Atlanta Falcons, a new football coach, under the tree, please. Yeah, by the way, uh, it would be nice since you're a Falcon fan. Can you take care of Indianapolis on Sunday? All of a sudden, we're in a battle with them in Houston here in Jacksonville. Uh, send us a new coach and you know we probably can win you know i i, I think that at times Arthur smith uh forgets he has b john robinson drake london and kyle fitz on the field a uh, total of 13 touches for those guys against carolina wow Mm-mm-mm. well it we ain't w- as bad as it is in jacksonville i promise oh gosh <laughs> sunday night was awful hopefully the falcons can do the jaguars a solid coming up on sunday thanks andrew you got it ryan take care buddy and thank you to Andrew Spivey, GatorCountry.com, for joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark. Again, the transfer portal is very active, and early signing day kind of sneaks up on us right in the middle of all the NFL stuff going on. But early signing day all over the country uh, is on Wednesday, and we'll see what Billy Napier can do. He's certainly lost some guys from what was a top three class, and we'll see if he can salvage it and remain in the top 10 biggest takeaway from the evening tonight on hacker after dark well it certainly revolves around the jacksonville jaguars and the reality of the situation the jaguars are not an elite team the jaguars are not a top tier team in the afc at least not right now you cannot be an elite team losing five games at home you cannot be an elite team scoring one touchdown in three big home games this year combined against Kansas City, San Francisco, and Baltimore. Does that mean the Jags are not good? Of course not. They're 8-6. and six. They currently lead their division based on tiebreakers, but all the talk about the number one seed and all the talk about Jacksonville being in the same realm with Baltimore and Kansas City has gone bye-bye and probably will not come back this year. A successful year from here on out is making the playoffs. 
and then seeing what happens in round number one. But based on what I've seen right now and based on injuries and everything going on, I think getting in the playoffs is a win. Not making the playoffs would be a, a fail after an 8-3 and three start. But then I really don't expect Jacksonville to do very much once the playoffs do get underway. Well, that'll just about wrap it up for what has been a very busy Monday night edition of Hacker After Dark here on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. Certainly appreciate you guys hanging out with us this evening. We have a lot of people to thank. Again, Andrew Spivey, GatorCountry.com. He's one of our guys down in Gainesville. We appreciate Andrew taking time out for us. Also, my friend John Shipley of Jaguar Report, a part of Sports Illustrated. Thank you to John for taking time out to review Baltimore and preview what is going to be a very big game on Sunday between the Jaguars and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And back in hour number one, my buddy Dave Campo. It's always Monday night coaching with Campo as we get the head coach on to review the previous game and preview the upcoming game, which might be C.J. Beathard. Again, Trevor Lawrence in concussion protocol. It may be C.J. Beathard making his first start um, and, and Trevor Lawrence missing his first game in the National Football League. Again, this is not a toughness issue. Trevor came back from the knee and the ankle, and he's proven how tough he is. Obviously, concussion protocol has nothing to do with toughness. It's an NFL-sanctioned thing, and he's going to have to show that he's completely healthy. Most people do not get out of the protocol in seven days. So I think as it stands right now, you have to anticipate C.J. Beathard getting the start in what is probably a must-win situation for Jacksonville on Sunday down south there in Tampa Bay. We will be back tomorrow night on a Tuesday. Are you kidding me? Ladies and gentlemen of Jacksonville, Florida, let me ask you a question. Where would you rather be from 10 o'clock to midnight on a Tuesday than right here with Dylan Denmark and yours truly on Hacker After Dark? And we do hope that you join us for our late night show tomorrow night. Dylan Denmark was your producer Tonight, Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker, Ryan Green. And again, Jacksonville, thank you for staying out with us on a Monday right here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Monday evening, and we will do it all over again tomorrow night on a Tuesday beginning at 10 o'clock. Until then... Good night, Jacksonville.